Cowabunga, dude, to do that. Rob here, hopping on real quick because I am so excited to release this particular episode. Uh, we had a very special returning guest uh, dating all the way back to October of 2013, uh, and that would be Mr. Pat Fraley. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation, and, and it was great to kind of see where the conversation went. So we covered things like improvising with Rob Paulson, uh, his bond with the cast of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, we talked about how prolific he was and how he was able to balance different gigs uh, at the same time, but also how it was difficult at times to balance how many different characters there were in each medium that he was, he was involved in. We also talk about voice acting and archetypes and the craft itself. Finally, you know, and probably my personal favorite part of the entire show was where the conversation kind of bled into our faith. Uh, so we, we talk about some real life stuff toward the end of this particular interview. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. If you want to check out anything that Pat Fraley is involved in, all you have to do is go to his website, patfraley.com. There are a ton of free videos and content for, for voice acting and narration. And I'm personally going to give it a, uh, a uh, look through very, very soon because I'm interested in a lot of uh, um, what he has to offer as well. But I think one of the greatest treats, aside from the real life talk with Pat Fraley, was seeing how Kirkland and Pat really did interact and bond. And... Um, Kirkland has, as you've heard with the interns and everything, uh, Kirkland has a wonderful gift for voice acting, and uh, Pat is a wonderful teacher, and it shines through in, in everything that he does, uh, including this particular interview. So it was really just a treat to sit back and let them kind of chat and bond, and uh, this interview is one of my all-time favorites I've ever been a part of, and like I said, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. But anyways, that's enough of my rambling for one day. Guys, thank you so much for listening, and as always... Cowbunga dudes. Dudes, Michelangelo here, you know, the master of the whirling pizzas. Greetings, minions. This is Lord Crab. Hello, everybody. My name's Grayson. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtles Forever. Brought to you by my radical dudes, Bebop and Rocksteady. Cowabunga! I crack myself up. Cowabunga, dudes, you dudettes, and welcome to another episode of Turtles Forever. I am your co-host, Rob, and join with me, as always, on these Turtles Forever episodes is my main man, my partner in Ninja Turtle Crime, Mr. Kirk Leonardo. How are you, buddy? Doing great. How are you? Uh, I am fantastic, because today we have a legendary co-host, uh, or excuse me, living legendary special guest uh, that has been in so many things. I literally wrote down some of the things. I'm not going to go through my entire list, but let me just drop a few here. Scooby-Doo, the Hanna-Barbera Ghostbusters, Pound Puppies, DuckTales, Tailspin, and of course, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mr. Krang himself. Mr. Pat Fraley, how are you? <laughs> Casting, one, two, three. Casting. One, two, three. 
Well, Robin Kirk, you keep telling me about the good life because it makes me want to puke. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not often we get to talk to uh, the Krang here on the show. It is such an honor to have you back. We were just talking right before the we hit record of how awesome it is to have you back after nearly 10 years uh, of being on the show. Uh, so how, how have you been in the last 10 years? Um, you know, a good, bad, and ugly. You know, <laughs> like everybody's life, this COVID thing's got me uh, semi-strange, uh, even more than I was. And um, I'm doing fine. You know, uh, y- you know, I, as it turns out, adversity really is a test for who you are and your character. And boy, do we ever get the adversity, all of us, good, bad, and ugly. Amen to that. Well, it's certainly not slowed you down in the last 10 years. I, I was looking through your, your IMDb of all the things you've been doing uh, for, for the last decade, and you're still, still staying busy through all this. Well, th- yes, I am. But uh, as I've gotten older, and I'm 73 now, um, I work less and teach more. But, uh, but God gave me a passion for teaching and performing, so I can't kick. I love it. And also, I wrote a book recently called uh, The Boy with Twelve Fingers. And let me tell you, writing is really hard. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm Irish, so less work, the better. But writing, oh my <laughs> goodness. That'll be my last book, probably. Oh, fantastic! I didn't so I didn't know you wrote a book. What's yeah, it about? Well, what's it about? Well, it's short, short stories because longer short stories annoy annoy me. When I pick up a New Yorker and I and I go four or five pages, I go, "This isn't short." I like one page stories. The rest, you know, it's like I'm not Charles Dickens. I'm not paid by the word. Hello, <laughs> so I. Uh, it's about 170 short stories. Wow, wow, fantastic. Are these fictional stories or are these uh, non-fiction stuff that happened to you? It's a mix. Some are fictional, some are uh, fact, some happened to me, some didn't, some I dreamt. I literally dreamt a couple stories. <laughs> oh, man, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, you know, before I start hogging the mic with a, bu- a million questions, I figure I'd let my, my good buddy Kirkland start us off. So, Kirkland, what, what do you want to ask to kick it off? Okay. Well, uh, first, I want to say when you when you first got on uh, the line with us, like your voice, it came through, and I was like, "Wait a minute, Crane!" No. But but it hit me. <laughs> the voice hit me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I recognize you. You voiced Casey Jones as well, right? Yes. Okay. Violator. Yeah. Okay. It, it, I got it now. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the voice. I was like, "Wait, we got the wrong guy," and this is Casey Jones. But <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys the reason why, I, and and I came across this on Facebook. Somebody asked, "Why did you get in voiceover?" And as usual, I answered it, but I didn't write it down. But I'll tell you guys. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to perform. It didn't matter if it was on stage, uh, television, movies, whatever. So it was what was offered to me by God. You know, it was like, oh, here, oh, here I go. But the other thing, the personal thing, uh, private, I guess, is that I, I could de- be and do anything, and nobody looked at me. So I wasn't too ugly or too attractive to be a leading man. It was, you know, I could do anything. 
and I have. I've done even women. I've done different characters through my career, and I love that because I really am a character actor. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I got, I got like three questions, um, and we may not get to them all, but I guess I'll ask them in order that I thought them up. So, I mean, being since it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle podcast. And like the whole voice cast of that crew was, they're all kind of like Hall of Famers. I was just kind of wondering if, were there times when all of you were in the studio at once? And if so, and I guess this could expand to anything you do, but what, uh, when you're in a group setting, what, what do you bring to the dynamic? Like, like you personally, what, what's the, if you had to say there was one, maybe two things, the biggest perks that you bring to, um, just how the group interacts when you're in studio together? I think, and I have to speak for Rob Paulson, and I'll answer both questions. But first, I think the the big thing is, is that um, I'm charming and creative, and I buoy the room like Rob Paulson does. He buoys the room. I mean, when you're doing a show for about four hours, you can't be up the whole time. And yet, every time they rolled tape back in the day but every time they push recording you have to be there and it's very vibrant as my friend and uh, comedian brad garrett says about voiceover uh they can't see us so you got to give them a little more well the little more is energy uh-huh. but also to answer the first question yes we were mainly together in fact fred wolf the producer liked us together so we were for nine years that I worked on it, we were we'd see the same folks once a week or maybe twice a week. I can't remember, but how unique! I mean, even Bonanza and these old shows that ran for years never saw each other every week, but we did, and same the same uh, seats. So we were all together. I think that's what I brought to the party, and certainly Rob Paulson. I'd say more than me. Uh, than I. Uh, Rob was so funny and joyful and uh, kept us going. That has to be one of the the funnest experiences that uh, somebody could go through, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, can you imagine going to see the same people you like? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Even my my cousin, Cam Clark, was in the show. So it was a delight to go in and, and you know what you're doing. And you have good writers, and you kind of know you're in a hit after the first year. You knew it was hot because of the toys. Mm -hmm. By the way, do you know that Ninja Turtles is still to this day produced by a toy company? Yeah, it's hard to believe. We thought, oh, we got a great show, we're funny, we're well cast. No, no, we were selling toys. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, it seems like, there was a, there, there's been a few shows in the '80s that I've just seen a few episodes of. Um, is it? It's a uh, Dino Saucers, I think, was one of them, and it was it was actually a premise for a pretty good cartoon, but they didn't have a toy line, so it went under pretty quickly. Yeah, in fact, I remember doing Brave Star for Filmation, and it was a futuristic western, and we thought, oh, this is a great show. Well. They a- they accidentally got, oh, I can't remember the term, but at the toy stores, they got uh, positioned. They sold the toys prior to the uh, show, and it just sat there and died 
because no one knew what it was and no one bought the toys. And so I guess I realized, hey, you got to have a toy line and you got to be saturated in there. If, I mean, I, just looking through IMDb, you've probably done more projects than any of us could ever remember. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm seeing all my favorites too. I'm seeing Batman the Animated Series, King of the Hill, Toy Story, Toy Story. It seems like you're you're really like um, a, a lot of these jobs. It's like you're the utility guy when when they just need somebody to come in to do whatever. Somebody that's versatile. It, it looks like they just call you. Well, you know, Andre Romano would call me in to do something large. Unfortunately, she was you know recording batman and more subtle things so i didn't work a whole lot with her <clears throat> i did a whole lot of uh, comedy villains i didn't play the leading man too much um, cowboys of mumesa and maybe Bravestar, as i mentioned were the only heroes that i played the more the, uh, the moreover it was a comedy villain because somehow when i get evil on the edge, I go funny. <laughs> it's yeah. probably based yeah. on me yeah. not being comfortable being fun, uh, evil. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, well, that, that honestly, that I'm envious of that because that's kind of that. That is uh, that seems like the role that would be the, the funnest to play. Really, is like a oh, supporting it's the, character. It's the best written. But when I go to a signing uh, convention. They, they, yeah, I do okay, but no, I don't do like the turtles. And here, my, my, uh, my cousin Cam Clark says, Yeah, I used to have lines like, Settle down, guys. What's the idea? You know, he had no, no lines that were interesting, <laughs> but he's, <laughs> but everybody wants to be a turtle. Nobody wants to be crank. Come on. So it's like, uh, Othello and, um, uh, who's the villain in that show? Othello and, Nobody remembers. I don't, but he's key and great writing. But you know, when it's over, it's over. Well, I mean, I, I love Cam Clark for uh, mainly a lot of the other stuff he's done. He was Liquid Snake and Metal Gear Solid. But honestly, I think I mean, you say, I mean, basically because he was Leonardo, you know, people kind of recognize him more. I, I honestly think that the voice of the character is at least 60% of it, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, it's kind of interesting because no matter the voices, no matter what, it's a visual medium. Mm -hmm. And you don't even think about the voices. When I watch Daffy Duck, I don't think about Mel Blanc. I think about Daffy Duck. I love Daffy Duck. Right. But, I mean, to me, it may just be because, like, I'll leave, uh, like, a TV show on and listen to it passively and sometimes not even watch it. But to me, like, the voices... I could listen to a TV show as just a, a play. Well, me too. And when I go in there, and uh, there are exceptions, and uh, but when I went in there, I, I think I'm involved in the greatest radio show ever. <laughs> yeah. Because when you see the pictures, you go, really? They did that? <laughs> Very few times. And one time, and Cam Clark was in this, he played Tittermouse or something or uh, something. It was a joke on a Wagner opera, but uh, it was as good and better than the uh, production. Same with Bobby's World. It came out oh, better. Man. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a good story on that. I'll save. I'd love to hear it. Um, 
I, I got one more before I give it to Rob. And you've probably, like I said, you've probably done so many that you, you can't even remember them all. But what is, what's maybe your favorite or maybe like your top two favorite projects that you've worked on? Well, I think there's several different reasons. One of them, the funniest show was The Tick. No doubt. <laughs> That's a great show. Um, I'm rewatching the show right now on Hulu. The one for money was uh, Ninja Turtles. We made a bag of money on that show. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, we were a network, which was NBC, ABC, CBS. We were uh, Channel 13s and 11s. That's independent. And we were overseas at the same time. The first time it ever happened. But I think my favorite show that I did, and I, I think I'm going to bump into something uh, here, but it's Tailspin. Oh, Wildcat. Yeah. I, I, yep. play, I yep. played Wildcat. Blue is just a red banana. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> a couple things about it. First of all, I auditioned. They were having a hard time making this uh, Wildcat who looked stupid uh, work. And I thought, well, I'll make him naive. Yeah, I'll make him like this. You know, oh, there's a new map, the island on the map. Wait, oh, that's guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where did I get that? They didn't know. They liked it, though. They liked the naivete. I got it from hanging around with deaf and deaf people when I was young. And, you know, if you'll hear, if you walk out like that, and then you pretend to be deaf, and not, not have tone. You can hear the similarity. Mm-hmm. Huh. And so, okay, no way would Disney ever have hired me had I had they known <laughs> yeah. that I I uh, I based that character on what used to be called handicapped right mm-hmm. people. But nevertheless, I did it, enjoyed it. But about ten years later, guys, I got a call from a uh, psychologist said, I'm representing somebody that has autism. Would you mind dealing with that person? I said, no problem. Well, I developed a relationship with a person. Now, get this, and I still have it to this day. Uh, she's seriously on the spectrum, so she's very uh, serious. You know, her uh, autism is very strong. Get this. Now, they would go to school, people with autism, they go to public school because they had resources when she was a child, Right. If not to this day, they'd be humiliated all day, you know, teased. She would go home, she'd watch TV, and she would watch Tailspin after school, Monday through Friday. And she would see a character she perceived as uh, special or challenged, right? And everyone loving that character. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, it's rather like... Uh, Bob Hope. You know, I used to think, why, why is Bob Hope around? He's not funny. He just oversees training the troops. Well, it started when he, in World War II when he went to, I think, Tarawa. And he had about 15,000 men. And he knew that over 50% would die. And, and what they heard was the last thing they would hear. And to hear that laughter. And it makes what I do more meaningful on that level, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Just like when I do a signing, I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to be involved with uh, people when they were kids. Because they're all about 30 or over 30 now. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because 
you were talking about how, especially with turtles, you were all over the syndicate channels, you know, and um, and I remember walking home every day. I didn't have many friends growing up, especially in, in Gloucester City at the time. I was very shy, very self-conscious. So the turtles were kind of like my escape. Yeah, so when I got home, buddy, I could not wait. I think it was 4.30. I can't remember the exact time, but... I was like, I can't wait for turtles to come on. And that was my escape for a long time. And it was like these four brothers I grew up with. And it was it was so surreal to talk to you 10 years ago, our very first interview. And I'm talking to Baxter. I'm talking to Casey Jones. I'm talking to Krang. And, and uh, I just, you know, you are a big part of so many kids' childhood, childhoods. Probably a great reminder of some truly fundamental and... Um, I don't know, special times. Yes, yes, uh, I'm privileged to be part of that. And um, it was well cast. You see, Townsend, who played Michelangelo, he had teenage kids, literally were in high school when he did the show. Um, yeah, Barry Gordon, who played the egghead, is an egghead. <laughs> but when we went through that show, he had books, and we would do the show, and he'd be reading these books and tell his lines. He went through law school mm. while we did the show. Cam Clark was kind of a hero, and he had Leonardo, the hero. And Rob Paulson played Raphael, and he's a smart aleck. Guess what? Rob Paulson is a smart aleck, and so does Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> And I played, you know, goofy characters. And Pete Renaday uh, was the funniest guy in the show. He cracked us up more than anybody. A very good actor. And um, James Avery, he played the bad guy. Uh, he was like that shredder, right? Well, I knew he was a, he's a very good actor, but I knew he was a one-note Johnny. <laughs> Craig, what are you doing? Because I just done a show... Uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling with him, oh, his yeah, first show. Yeah. And he did one thing. And I knew he'd do one thing. So I knew that I could be out there with it, guys. Right? <laughs> so we were also known as the uh, the odd couple the odd couple from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when you... And, and also uh, Jennifer Darling was in the cast. She played Irma. And Renee Jacobs, and we were all together most of the time, and it was just a really well cast show. Thanks to Fred Wolf, and he hired people he knew, mm -hmm. he'd worked with. I mean, he'd worked with Bruce and I on, or no, Barry and I on a movie, and he knew people. Renee J Jacobs was the unusual one. She was cast out of hundreds of people. Wow, what do you think it was about her that made them go with her? I don't know. I think she was genuine and open and had a clear, beautiful voice, but she could act. Well, I love that. And, you know, you bring up the cast, and that was going to be what I was going to ask next. Um, I actually, I listened to our old interview from, from about 10 years ago today, and you had mentioned that you would do a lot of ad-libbing with Rob Paulson. So uh, that kind of that kind of makes me th wonder, you know, are there any inside baseball or any behind the scenes things that happened during that time um you know right in the middle of ninja turtle heyday that maybe not many fans of the show know about well um first of all let me just go back a little bit um 
I've been dyslexic my whole adult life. So when I was in high school, I used to get a play. I knew there was an audition. I really memorized the whole thing. I knew other people's lines, everything, right? I got through there, got through college, went to Cornell, was in the MFA program for acting, and I couldn't do that. And so I was in the middle of an audition, and it was for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And I, and I was going to be let go. I didn't know this at the time, but they were going to take away my scholarship my living wage in audios. So it got to uh, some line like, how can you be one place and no place at all, or something like that. And so I could barely read through the line because I could not read. And and I went, how can you be in one place, no place at all? And I did uh, the Twilight Zone thing. <laughs> I ad-libbed that because I thought, well, I'm going to fail anyway, I'll have fun. <laughs> I, I stayed, I did that part, I moved on, and what I found was auditioning, or um, what I needed to do to compensate for the dyslexia was to improv and be funny and l relax, and that's what I did. So um, there was, a, I always have ad-libbed a lot, and Rob and I love it. In fact, I'll tell you one story. I sat next to Raphael, Crank, and we never had a scene together ever, but we loved each other. We, the whole idea was let's make the other person laugh, and it's got to be funny. <laughs> so, I have a line like, "How how would you like to be boiled in oil?" Right? And he went, "No, no, here, say this." And he wrote down my ad lib. We used to write each other's ad libs. In Bobby's <laughs> world, we did it too, right? To the point where the writers said, we're not going to write anything because they had them everything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> going back to Ninja Turtles, I ad-libbed his line to cover how it was like to be boiled in oil. And they kept it and used it. And here's what it is. How would you like to be sautéed in oil with just a touch of cilantro? <laughs> <laughs> and they took it. You spiced it up. I like that. Yeah, well, I did, they let us ad-lib a lot the first year, a lot. Then when it became a hit, oh, boy, it was like union arbitration. We'd beg them. We'd get one out of three. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, you know, another thing that you'd mentioned on the last interview uh, that I definitely wanted to follow up on, um, you said something. It was toward the end of the interview. You were talking about your time with Townsend Coleman. And you said that a lot of times you and Townsend, you were both Christians and you guys would kind of pray before recording a show or something like that. And you called it the... Uh, Ch yes, the Church of the Open Car Door. Yes, yes. So can you tell me a little <laughs> bit more about that? Like what, what did you guys, like how did you form that kind of bond? And, and are there any other stories about that? Well, um, Townie and I, our kids went to the same uh, elementary school, Village Christian. So I knew that... Um, I, I, as I mentioned to you guys, I, I uh, church at Grace Community Church under John MacArthur, and we jokingly call it the Church of the Holy Egghead, <laughs> not because John's such an egghead, but it's very, it's, it's a very buttoned-up, inerrant biblical church, right? And a lot of unpopular things. Rob's a, was a little looser. He went to a different church. Everyone's a little looser, but you know how it is when you. 
when you have a Christian brother or sister, there is a uh, bond that's made. Uh, I, I assume it's rather like uh, being Jewish. When you know someone else is a Jew in a cast, there's a bond. And that's what it was. And also, it's a great thing, because when I have students like Bob Sauer, who's Christian, um, it keeps me accountable. And Linda Montana, who churches at Grace Community. My, well, I sit next to her. She's my, she's my church date. And uh, it keeps you accountable. So you sort of watch your language a little bit more. I, I love that. I love that you and Townsend Coleman had that kind of relationship. And, and speaking of relationships, you know, it feels like, and I'm just the, an outsider looking in, but I feel like it's so transparent that I, I feel confident in saying this, that y'all really were like a family. And I'm sure that after maybe even just the first season, you guys knew this is something really special. This is a special cast. I, we have actually had the privilege of having Townsend Coleman on the show a little bit after we had talked to you last. And he had said, he had said uh, that you could just, you could just sense it. This is one of the most special things we'll ever be part of. And uh, would you kind of agree with that? I do agree with it. I do. I agree. I, as far as like, it'll never happen again. I, I didn't know, but I didn't expect it, but it was unique, and we knew it was unique because, you know, again, and I reiterate, but you go to the same professional studio, you get in there, you get your coffee, you get in your same seat, like school, and you're being paid, and you have good writers, and you have good lines. My goodness, it was like a joy. And I don't know what it's like because I never went to war. I never had a buddy... Uh, I've only had one best friend since high school, so, but it's rather like a bond that you can't explain. When we sign together, you know, the, it's always hugs beforehand. Yeah, I, I completely understand that, you know. And so, toward the end, uh, well, actually, let me back up before before we get to the end of the, the original cartoon because. I just wanted to know how the heck you did it. Kirkland and I were both looking at everything you had done uh, during that, that time frame. You were doing tailspin while doing the turtles. How in the world did you balance it all? Well, it's easy because they're, they're, uh, they're large characters, so it's easy to remember the characterization. Although I remember once Neil Ross had nine shows simultaneously, and he had to record his characters to remember them. But it was easy to remember, easy to fall into the style of the show. That was no problem. Um, but I do recall that uh, I replaced a guy, a director, Stu Rosen, who uh, not only did the pilot on a set, uh, weekend, but he took a lot of major roles. So that irritated Fred Wolf, and he called me in, and I replaced him. Now, originally I was cast as Krang, Vernon, Burn Thompson, the also uh, Baxter Stockman. I think that was originally was four characters, and I I said to Fred, I can't do four. I can only do three. So fortunately, Pete got Vernon. Vernon was the assistant that was real nervous, right? And I did Burn Burn Thompson. Go go go. You got to go. <laughs> and Baxter, the fly guy. And I, I thought, you know, I thought he'd last forever, but they killed him off. <laughs> so, 
what I'm doing there is I raise my pitch and I wiggle, I pinch a little bit of flesh underneath my chin so I go, hi. That kind of got the zzzz of the fly. And then I did, of course, Krang. And that was plenty. Uh, I could, uh, aside Vernon, I let Vernon go. But then I had two, and so they always gave me guests. Because Fred hated to pay. He was cheap. Well, did I say cheap? Yes. <laughs> uh, so he would, we never had guests. So we'd go, um, and you know, he'd go, so they'd say, who's light on their contract? They'd got three in those days. And somebody would raise their hand and say, um, you're the Asian, uh, you know, professor. Well, I don't do Asian. You do now. <laughs> I, uh, so we kind of learned on the job. In fact, Rocksteady and Bebop, played by Barry Gordon and Cam Clark. Cam Clark, yeah. Was way out of their range. They never played that characters, those kind of characters. But they did on the Ninja Turtles and got really good at it. Um, so you just mentioned range as a voice actor. Um, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm guessing you, you probably, at least in your early days, had to sit down and woodshop or woodshed a lot, you know, to, to like expand your range for the character, basically just coming up with new voices, I would imagine, or, or trying to maybe emulate something that you heard. Do, do you have any like tips for, uh, or like exercises or anything like that for, for somebody that might want to, um, you know, discover new voices or, yeah. or emulate or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You got to trick yourself because, you know, you're, I've always been a monkey boy. I always imitate things, but a lot of people base their uh, work. Certainly Dawes Butler who was so Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound. He did so many different characters. He's doing impressions. So impressions are good, but here's a good one. You turn on the TV, anything, usually a good movie like Casablanca, something good, and you repeat what's going on, and you keep turning the channel or changing the channel, and you repeat everything, music, the dialogue, everything. And you play it, it's crazy because you can't think. <laughs> you just have to repeat and it sort of teaches you to manipulate your voice and do other characters. I did that early on, and um, it was helpful. That that is a such a great validation to hear, uh, Rob. That's uh, you, I don't know if I've told you this, but like I've done that since I was like probably in first grade. Yeah, I, yeah. I still do it, and like when my mom's at the house or something, like she, she she'll be in another room. She'll be like. Why are you doing that? And I won't even know that I'm doing it. I'll just be repeating, you know. And uh, yeah, so yeah, she's saying some weird. Me. Um, <laughs> by the way, your career is based on evocative, unique, and developed characters. So that's the mainstay. It's like you're a better manager, of, like an agent, than you are a creator. But every so often, you have to create something. I remember, like Casey Jones. Um, you know, and again, you know, no guess. So they said, here, and they gave me a piece of paper and a picture of this guy with a mask on and a hockey stick in his golf bag. And I said, so he obviously was tough. And I said, what do I do with this? And uh, I think Fred Wolf or somebody, the director, Sue Blue, said, uh, just to a young Clint Eastwood, hello, Violator. So that's what I did for Casey Jones. That's all. 
it's not a big giant process you know like slash they said he's very uh, emotional okay so i thought okay kirk uh, kirk douglas is very emotional you know that old actor he does that hey bert i'm kirk douglas you know and then he had sp- he had splayed out teeth. Sure, I knew I had to splay my teeth out, and that's what he was. <laughs> it was really simple stuff. That is uh, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you, uh, uh, Pat, and Kirkland, and you guys were talking because Pat, I'm going to brag on my friend Kirkland because uh, he would never do it himself. But I think we have a budding voice actor in the works. He is incredible. Oh. Yes, yes, he is incredible with some of the things he can do. And he would never admit it. But I'm just so glad you guys are talking uh, and, and connecting. Kirkland, email me. And uh, on my website, patfreely.com, in the contacts is my personal email and my personal phone number. Because I'm, I'm available until I go to heaven. But go ahead and uh, email me and say hey it's kirkland and let me send you an extra a thing to find out what kind of characters you do it's really a collection of archetypes because that's what they want to cast they want to cast archetypes now writers and producers and directors will never say they need an archetype you'll never hear that word but it really then mm-hmm. gets down to it they want a villain they want a authoritative man they want a nerd you know they're archetypes, but they want you to fulfill them in a unique way. That's the diff- that's what happens. So what what what's a tailspin? Well, that's a a dumb mountain lion, a d- dumb character, right? But I went a little naive with him, so I went naive. They liked my spin on it, but I fulfilled the script. Hmm. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh- yeah, I'll I'll do that. I appreciate it. And like uh, I do a lot more teaching than performing. And if you go to patfreely.com, it's just my name.com, or if someone does, I have uh, a menu and up there is free and I have 50, 60, a lot of free lessons. So you can start there and you can also see how I teach. Uh, I have about 30 different home study courses and all sorts of stuff. So you can just nose around. Awesome. I'm, I'm going there right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you mentioned uh, teaching, Pat. So, you know, Kirkland and I are both educators. I teach English and Kirkland teaches science. But, you know, just talking about the teaching profession in general, do you have any wisdom that you could share? You know, anything that we could pass on to our kiddos? Well, of course. Well, I don't know passing on to kiddos. One thing is that you speak the truth in love. And uh, that's actually a biblical uh, requirement. And what it means is you tell the truth and you're forthright. You don't shine anybody on, but you don't do it in an evil, rough way. I remember when I was at Cornell getting my MFA, oh, I was treated so poorly. And and the last thing you want to do when I thought about it was to make an actor nervous because our greatest enemy is fear. So... I guess you make the experience of teaching more about learning than teaching. I'm a teacher, not a coach. What's a coach? Well, it kind of has this feeling of going to the gym and having a coach, right, that, that encourages you. 
Well, a good teacher is a coach. He knows who he's teaching, and he's uh, forthright, but but kind. So that's that's the wisdom I have, and I didn't get it from myself. Believe me. I love that. I love that because you know, the people pleaser in me. I have to catch myself. I'm being way too nice and I'm shying away from the truth here you know maybe I should just tell this this student the truth in love and that that's not easy not easy to do then the opposite thing is you say what are you thinking do it again you know you get terse <laughs> so so it's a good adjusting factor to make it more about learning what does this person need to learn absolutely absolutely and I've I did remember the voice acting question I was going to ask you real quick it was it was something you had mentioned on the last interview um, I actually wrote down the quote uh, you know you were talking about how skillful a lot of these voice actors you worked with are so my question in that is can anyone would say mediocre raw talent become a legendary voice actor yeah they just have to work harder I mean I've done thousands of auditions and I've done hundreds of jobs and they asked John Malkovich how many auditions have you done and he said uh one I went what it's the same reason we know how to pronounce Malkovich like Zellweger because they were excellent to begin with so what happens is that um, going to somebody that is mediocre, mediocre meaning that they don't have the skills, okay? Let's say that, you know, I don't know about if a person's mediocre, period, but you acquire the skills, so you got more skills to acquire than another person. I, I went through theater, so I had a lot of skills, but I had some specific skills that I had to uh, learn to do voiceover. But a person that's mediocre with regard to not having many skills just works a little harder. They keep working. And you know what? Forget about motivation. If you're going to be a performer, you're going to be a performer. There's no way of getting around it. It's just a love of life. And you love that more than you love making money or need to make money. But there are times when I needed money and I went out and got it but I still was a performer I love that so my my old uh, co-host way back in the day from the first interview we had with you I texted him I said hey we're talking about Fraley Day you want me to ask a question real quick so if you don't mind I just was going to ask his question for you he says uh, what impact do you think the 87 series had on the 80s and 90s children cartoon ecosystem would things be different if it had never come out or come out later than it did? Gee, I don't know. You know, I I had 98 instructors in my life, and the reason why I don't look at questions beforehand is because there's three magic words. I only heard from one instructor, Jack Fryman at the Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. And here are the three words. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody does. But I don't. I do know there are certain shows that advanced oh, animation. For example, Gummy Bears. When Disney did Gummy Bears, oh my goodness, the look changed and it got a lot better looking. Because when you remember Scooby-Doo's, they were like a puppet show. I mean, they barely moved around. They were weird. <laughs> 
Also, uh, Batman made cartoons realistic. It was the first time there was a realistic show. So there's been some that changed, but I don't know what how Ninja Turtles uh, affected stuff. I know it sold a lot, sold a lot of toys. <laughs> sure did. Well, I can say that it affected my life, and it's so interesting how this all kind of worked out. I got into the toys. I was a prototypical child of the early '90s. The first tur- turtles or first film I ever watched in theaters was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Cartoon show, like I said, was my escape as a kid. Uh, but the funny thing is, I decided to do a podcast many years later, my early adulthood. And like I've been saying several times, you were our first interview, and you kind of set the stage and set the tone for every guest that we would have after the fact. And you were so kind, so easygoing, so gracious to me. And I'll just inside baseball, I wasn't nervous as all get out, but you you even mentioned it today. You put me at ease right away. I appreciated that then. I appreciate that even more now. Uh, and I think about the last 10 years of doing a podcast, talking to creators, voice actors, um, artists, and it has inspired me in so many ways. I'm an English major. I love to write. I've built friendships, and I've also built uh, a bunch of um, – I've surrounded myself with my heroes to yeah. kind of ins- to, to aspire to be like them. And um, you're certainly one of them. And I, I've been wanting to say that for quite some time. Well, I'm great for you saying that because it makes my life more meaningful. Because, you know, when you get right down to it, Rob, you, uh, I'm in the uh, you know, entertainment business. I amuse people. You know, Noel Coward wrote a book called A Talent to Amuse. Well, once you get to the point of amusing people a few times and you go, well, I guess I'm amusing, it's meaningless. And so you're looking for pith. You're looking for the center of something. And that's one thing that's very important is to inspire other people. And I've been around a lot of stores. And, um, oh, Joe Montaigne comes to mind, an actor that's a, a dear friend. His job is sort of to calm people down because people are a little nervous around, and I am, around stars. And um, I'm pleased that uh, I don't get tired of that, you know, to get the real part out of people rather than nerves. Absolutely. And when I was listening to our interview the first time, first time in a long time since I've heard it, you were very transparent about your faith. And I think it really, I think it really shines through in in your work. And um, I'm sure you probably had to at times, kind of reject some roles. Well, you kind know, of. I rejected auditions and roles if the language was too rough. But I can't say it was mainly Christianity because my sanctification process has sort of been like a drunk bee. <laughs> you know, but. I can say right now that, uh, you know, when I was younger, I didn't want my sons to hear me say the F-bomb, drop the F-bomb or say S-H-I-T or anything. So I I didn't take jobs that were foul. But God put me in a place 
and I started in theater with, with not being a Christian, God put me in a place of voiceover where it was really easy. I mean, commercials, animation, they still don't swear or get rude in those areas. And so I was protected somehow. But then when I got to a certain age, I, do, I did have to turn down jobs and auditions. But God's faithful has been so faithful to mm-hmm. me to you know, meet my family's needs in a creative way. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful. I sit around, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm teaching, of course, I, can, I don't teach certain aspects of, I don't teach uh, romantic books or erotic, because, you know, obviously. But I teach everything else, so I can't kick. I love that, I love that. And you, you had mentioned a long time ago that you, know, you had a full circle moment with Charles Watt uh, and how he played a big impact on you. I think he had narrated some scenes in the Bible. Uh, and then you got to play the same exact role much, much later and narrate the same scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are there any other full circle Christian moments like that or godly moments like that throughout your career? Well, I don't know who Charles Watt is, but I do know that Charles Lawton. Oh, excuse me. That's what it was. Yes. Well, he had uh, done uh, a record in those days, and that's back in the 70s, where he had a line. He was the... um, Caldonian servant of a king and he said my lord there are the Jews and the way he said Jews is like oh wow it's loaded well maybe 20 years later I got that line because I did a recording of the Bible and I got that character and I got that line and of course I did what he did but that was a, a freaky wonderful thing but if I were to say anything about Christianity is that be faithful and strong because there's many people that compromise their thoughts and you can get away with it, you know. You can, I guess that's what I would say. Be faithful and, and be, be strong. And you know what? I'm not in charge. God's in charge. When I look for a job and I need money, so when I get money from somebody taking a course, that's fine. But my job is only to send out emails and have this stuff and be excellent. The rest is up to God. Mm-hmm. It's not my job. I love that because sometimes we try to control things. or Yes, or, we, we, you know yeah. what we do? We try to usurp God. Mm-hmm. with health, with different things. And it re- really redefines the word blessings, a mitzvah. You know, it, it, it redefines it. What is a blessing? Well, you know, I had a son, you know, my eldest son. I had four boys in five years. And Patrick died at 24 oh. of a drug overdose. So now, sorry. he knew the so Lord, sorry. which is unusual. Well, you know, you'd think that would destroy me, but it didn't. It allowed me to take calls from people that had kids in trouble. It allowed me to teach the other boys, and I don't know what they went through, but everyone has adversity in their lives. And it either makes you or breaks you, but it's all up to God. I love that, and uh, I might, yeah. I might uh, you know, personally take this out, and I'm not sure, but I am uh, a recovering alcoholic. 
uh, and, uh-huh. and it's like that adversity, you know, when I finally had to admit that, that was like one of the lowest moments of my life. Uh, my marriage yes. was almost squandered. And I had one of two ways to go. I was like, I can just further self-sabotage and lose everything or yes. I can surrender to God. And thank God, I just said, okay, God, I can't do this. I let go. Right. And so now, now after the fact, God has enriched our marriage. I, I've been sober, you know, one day at a time for, you know, a little while now. But, you know, I, I just look at the what God has done and it just blows yes. my mind. Yes. You know, there is a uh, you accept what you can't do. And I think that's there's something in AA about um allow me to accept the things, things I, I cannot can change. And yep. Right. It's it's so valuable to know that we're all weak. You know, they always talk about confidence and actors being confident. Well, I was talking to Kay Bess, who I mentioned I've known so well. She coaches and she lives in Franklin, Tennessee right now. And I said, because she, she has to deal with confidence a lot. Because without confidence, you're sunk. How are you confident as an actor? Well, you're confident in God. Hmm. But you have to have confidence or know that I'm nothing. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. without mm-hmm. him, I'm absolutely nothing. I can't go anywhere. So the confidence is not in me. It's in him to guide. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard to drum up faith. Mm-hmm. You know, faith is a gift. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. It's like, and he can use your greatest storm, your greatest weakness, your greatest failure for your greatest strength for somebody else one day. You know, I love that. Yeah, I was reading, I think, Spurgeon on Instagram. I, 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 I follow a theologian named Spurgeon. But he's, he addressed this issue of not knowing what you're doing or, no, of really not having any abilities yourself and you're up, it's up to God. And to lean on him. And I think it's fundamental to the Christian faith just to accept the fact that I, there's nothing really good in me. And when people say, mm-hmm. oh, you're a good person, I said, hey, you put me in a chair in the dark in a room, and you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. My mind goes to places that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously unworthy. So knowing that God loved me even when I was bad... And uh, is, is a unconditional, an unconditional love is so valuable. Also, not trying to be good myself. There's nothing good in me, so I lean mm-hmm. on God. That's it. Well, Pat, it has been an honor, my friend. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on again. Uh, I was a little nervous when you asked for links to the show. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> You're going to listen and go, no, no, thanks. <laughs> No, I only ask that because there's some shows that I don't think I'd be appropriate on. And I didn't remember working with you 10 years ago. But I'm I'm grateful to how easy this is and delightful it is to talk to you guys, Kirkland and yeah, Rob. It's, yeah. it's really delightful. It, uh, it's, it's unique to my life. This, uh, I appreciate you coming on so much. This has been one of the big highlights of the summer. I mean, I don't think we're going to top this, to be honest with you. 
Well, that's even better. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, thank you so much, Pat. It, it is an honor. And um, how can uh, our listeners find? I think you've mentioned your website. Is it patfraley.com? That's it. And, you know, they they can email me, and questions are always welcome. Fantastic. When when he says there's all kinds of free lessons, he's not exaggerating at all. There's (laughs) stuff in here that, like, I've always, I'm thinking, like, separating character voices. It's like, how do you, I sit around all the time, like, ah, no, this dude's bleeding over into this dude. And it's, yeah, this this is like money, and it's free. I mean, (laughs) go there, people. Awesome. Free, awesome. free is always best. Free is always best. Oh, and I, I almost forgot this last question I need to ask, and uh, it's kind of a deep, it's kind of a deep one, Pat. Um, after every interview, I always ask, "What do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mean to you personally?" Money. <laughs> there you go. It was a, it was a, a big money maker, and I met my my uh, needs in a creative way. So it gets back to money. Fantastic. And money finds a way to provide. That's that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, Pat, it's been an honor, my friend. And uh, hope to talk to you soon. Hopefully sooner than another 10 years. Anytime. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> it, it's been an honor. And as always, guys, Alabanga. Yes, and you know, feel free to edit out anything you want. It's okay. We're about an hour. I know you need 40 minutes. We're good. Oh, no, I was doing that more for you. Whatever, if there's anything you said or anything you want removed, you let me know. Oh, no, no, no. I don't care. (laughs) Well, same here. Same here. You know, I'm stupid all the way. So (laughs) I've got a a consistency. Oh, I do want to mention that if you're if you can't read, uh, don't don't um, give up hope on acting because when you can't read, you have to act, and <laughs> you never read anything. You really perform, and perform is giving the impression that you never had a script, copy, or text, and you're not reading it now. Even audiobooks, uh, good uh, performers or narrators, I don't see a book. I, I have no idea that they're reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So don't give up hope. You know, just learn how to work around it until you get that text and then you say it like people talk. I, I try to read aloud to my students all the time, and that's actually your website meeting you all those years ago and then reading out loud to the my students and stuff i've heard several people say over time hey you know maybe you should look into audiobooks so i may be taking some of your classes and and kind of pursue that we'll see you all you know i've got a whole set of skills and i teach a lot and done a lot of audiobook work that address audiobooks and scott brick who's arguably the greatest in the world right now uh, and I teach together, I have taught for 10 years. And I, I really have a heart for audiobooks because it's the longest genre that we have. And there's nowhere to hide. It's you. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds fun. I, I listen to audiobooks. I, what I do, I'm one of those people. I'll uh, I'll get a book and then I'll buy the audiobook with it and do both at the same time. Read it while listening. Oh, this is delight. And I listen every night to audiobooks. I don't watch TV so much as I listen, and I love it. But uh, you know, it's just using your mind and listening to a, a really good narrator or performer. That picture in your head, and you know, and honestly, I think it kind of builds empathy too. You know, as we're discussing these books together, reading out loud, and you know, it does really help my a lot of my a lot of my kiddos. But, but uh, hey, Pat, thank you so much. Um, I will I'll reach out to you again once the episode's posted. And um, can I selfishly ask? There was a long time ago, you recorded a couple of bumpers for our show. Would you mind if I asked again, maybe ten years later? Of course you do. <laughs> well, fantastic. You can say it now, and I'll repeat it, or you can email it. To okay. Me. Say it now. Say it now, and I'll repeat it as a, if I can remember it. Sure. Um. Oh man, now I'm on the spot. Uh. <laughs> let's see. Would you mind if I just wrote it out for you? I'm so sorry, because I now I'm blanking. Unless you can think of something, Kirkman. Write it out for me and send it to an email, and I'll make a recording and send it to you. It great. won't be hard to find, Rob, because you put it in our last show. That's true. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that was the introduction to our show. <laughs> well, yeah. it sounded better then, but but anything you want, send it to email me. Thanks, Pat. That sounds fantastic, oh, yeah. man. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, Pat. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. 